Welcome to this week's Rashi Shir, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. So we resume the Shir on, on Sefer Bereshit, Parshat Noach, Perak Zion, Pasuk Dalad, which we started talking about last week. And Hashem tells Noach, that ki liyamim od shiva anochi mamtia al haaretz arbeim yom arbeim laila, that in seven more days I'm going to cause to rain on the land for forty days and forty nights umachiti et kol hayakum, and I'm going to wipe away, dissolve all that stands asher asiti which I made me al pene haadama from on the face of the ground, and we looked at the first comment of Rashi, who said these seven days are the seven days of Avelut for Matushalach, who is the grandfather of Noach and is a tzaddik. And the next comment of Rashi um, really explains why he says what he says, because on the words, ki liyamim od, so he actually goes back. He started on the words, ki liyamim od shiva, to explain what these seven days were. And then he says, ki liyamim od, he says, mahu od, what is meant by od, zaman acher, Sorry, Zaman Achar Zaman. It's a time after a time. And that is the explanation of Rashi's previous comment. It's Hashem waited 120 years, and then Od Shiva, and seven more days, which were added on to the 120 years. So the previous Rashi explained why Hashem chose to add on seven more days, and it was for Kavod for Metushelach. It was for the honor of Metushelach because he deserved it. And Rashi here says, Mahu od, what is meant by the word od? Zaman achar zaman, it's a time after the time. Ze nosaf al mea ve'esrim shana. This is added on the 120 years. So the 120 years was already set, and od shiva implies there's seven extra days. Why are there extra days? Rashi's explained. Then Rashi says, Arbi'im yom. The rain rains for, for 40 days. Keneged Yitzirat Havlad. And this corresponds to the time for the formation of an embryo. So when a baby is conceived, the Gemara says that the Yitzirat Havlad, the formation, takes 40 days. Before 40 days, the Gemara calls it Maya Ba'alma, like just water. It's not just water, but it's got a different status. What's the nafkamina? What is the halakhic import of that? Well, I certainly don't get, want to get into discussion of abortion and to paskin on that because I'm incredibly unqualified to do so. But when there is a question of abortion, should an abortion ever be justified and halakhically permitted, if it's before 40 days, there are more leniencies than after 40 days because the vlad is not fully formed until 40 days. Anyway... So why, what's the connection between the Yetzirah Tavlad, which is the duration of the rain, and, and the rain? Why, what's the connection between one and the other? And the answer is, says Rashi, Shekilkolo lahatriach liyotzram letzur tzurot mamzerim. They uh, acted in a way of destruction to trouble their creator to create the the creation of Mamzerim, of the uh, result of uh, forbidden unions, particularly incestuous and adulterous. So uh, the Midrash says that by rights, 
if two people are engaged in a forbidden union, there should be no conception as a result, because that's not what Hashem wants. However, Hashem lets the world run according to its normal fashion. So if there is such a union, then there might well be a pregnancy as a result. But this is a tircha for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This is not what Hashem wants to do. It's as if, it's as if, Hashem is obliged to do it against his will. Now, of course, that doesn't make sense. But it's as if Hashem is doing something that he doesn't want to do. So the people who are being punished in the Mabul, they caused Hashem to create Mamzerim. And that's why he brought 40 days of rain, which corresponds to the time of the creation of the vlad, of the embryo, which they caused him to create. That's what Rashi is saying. Now, why does Rashi have to say anything? So um, the Berba Sader, which I happen to be looking at, says that the question is a very simple one. Why 40 days? How long does Hashem need to destroy the world? Well, he could do it by any means, and he could have done it instantly. If you say he's decided to do it by a deluge, by a flood, how long does a flood take to destroy the world? Well, I don't know, but I know it's less than 40 days. In fact, we can see for ourselves. Sadly, when there's natural destructions, when there's storms which wipe away um, coastal areas, it doesn't take 40 days of rain. So the Be'er Basadeh says that's the question here which Rashi is answering. It doesn't need 40 days, so why does it take 40 days? So Rashi comes up with the significance of 40 days. Okay. Now we go on to Pasuk Hey, which says, Vayas Noach kachol asher tzivahu Hashem. Noach did according to all that Hashem had commanded him. Says Rashi, Zeh biato teva. This is the coming to the teva. Why does Rashi have to say that? Why does Rashi think that's what it means? Well, for those who were here last week and were paying attention, they should know. Because in Perikva of Pasuk Kafbet, we read, Vayas Noach kachol asher tziva oto Elohim kein asa. Noach did all that Elohim had commanded him, so he did. So that Pasuk there, Vav Kafbet, is pretty much the same as Zion Hey. It's not exactly the same, but it's pretty much the same. There's duplication. In both cases, it says, Noach did what Hashem commanded. So Rashi sorts that out for us. And Rashi said that the previous one, he used the words Zer Binyan Hateva, and this one Zer Biato Lateva. And I think there's almost a deliberate symmetry in the Rashi itself. It's the same phrase in the Chumash, similar enough. And the Chumash in twice is telling us Noach did as he was commanded. So what's the two sets of things that he did? One is Binyan Hateva, and the next one is Biato Lateva. Now, interestingly, it says Biato Lateva coming to the Teva, but it sounds like he's like coming to the Teva and standing outside the door. Why does Rashi say that? What's the point of coming to the Teva and standing outside the door? Well, hold that question, hold that thought. If it is your thought, well, I'm suggesting it should be your thought, and very soon we will respond to that thought. The next verse says, Pasuk Zion, Vayavo Noach ubanav v'ishto unashevanav ito El Hateva Mipnei Mei Hamabur. So Noah came and his sons and his wife and the wives of his sons with him to the Teva because of or in the face of the waters of the Mabul. Just by the way, this, Rashi doesn't say this, but I'll just point it out. This is an example of which there are very, very many, so many we don't notice, where we have a plural subject 
and the singular verb. What's the subject? So what grammatical form should the verb take? It should be They came. But it isn't. It's he came. And by the way, the classical Hebrew does this all the time in the Tanakh because it's one, it's, it's a lot of people, but it's clearly led by one person. Yes. Interesting. Um, yes, people did. And yes, I'll just go off on a little tangent. Until Rabbeinu Gershom, around the year 1000, Jews were allowed to. And Sephardi Jews perhaps are still allowed to. And yet, and yet, the occasions of people having more than one wife are very few and far between. Okay, so Abraham did, but there was a special reason. Yitzchak did not. Yaakov did, but there was a special reason. Um, uh, Elkanah did. So we know he had two wives, one of, and one Penina and Hannah. Um, in the Gemara, we know a little bit about the Amorayim and the Tanayim. Very few of them we know of, of ever having more than one wife. Yeah. It just wasn't the norm. And, okay, and here we see that Noah only had one wife. Yeah. Yep. And presumably his sons only had one wife. We don't count them as one, two, three, but it, that's always the implication. Yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, so I just pointed out because it, it, it's you know, important to, to note these things because sometimes the question is asked, why is it singular? And the answer is, if it's one person who is like the central character and others with him or her, then you'd get a singular verb. Over and over again in the beginning of Shema, Vayavo Moshe Va'aron El Paro. Two people, but it's a singular verb because it's Moshe and Aaron tagged along. Anyway, back to, that wasn't Rashi, so I should get straight back to Rashi. No, Rashi says, Noach Uvanav, Ha'anashim levad, vahanashim levad, the men on their own and the women on their own, because they were forbidden to have relations, because the world was um, 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 existing in trouble, in pain. The world was full of the pain. What pain? The pain of the Mabul. The world is being wiped away. So they realized the world was in pain. Now, um, does this fact that Rashi points this out raise any questions? Okay, well, it might raise a question because Rashi has already said this in Perak Vav Pasit Yudchet. So in Perak Vav Pasit Yudchet, the Pasuk said, Hashem said to Noach, V'hakimoti et briti itach, Uvata elateva. I will establish my covenant with you, and you will come into the teva. Ata uvanecha, you and your sons, ve'ishtecha unishevanecha, and your wife and your sons' wives. And Rashi says there, ha'anashim levad, ve'hanashim levad, mikan shne'esru b'tashmi shamita. The men on their own and the women on their own, from this we learn that they were forbidden to have relations in the, in the teva. And Rashi says the same thing over again. Now, by the way, we said last time that perhaps what's driving Rashi to say it at least once is the fact that when they come out of the Teva in Perachet Pasuk Tet Zayin, you can see that they come out in family groupings. Same in a Teva, Ata Ishtacha, you Noach and your wife, Uvanecha Unashevanecha, and your sons and your sons' wives. And yet when they go into the Teva, it's you and your sons, your wife and your sons' wives. So it's one of those 
examples, of which there are very many, and I point them out, that you've got two phrases which are very similar but a little bit different, and that's always what Rashi will comment on. When there's a similarity but a difference, he'll explain the difference. So he's explained that they go into the Teva in gender-specific um, groups, they come out of the Teva in family groups, because relations were forbidden in the Teva, but permitted once they're out the Teva. However, that doesn't explain why he has to say it twice. Now, you could say, well, the Chumash has said it twice. The Chumash goes out of its way to make the point in Vav Yudchet, and again here in um, uh, hey, uh, Zion Pasuk Zion. I've just realized I've done it again. I missed out a whole Pasuk, because Rashi did. But just for completeness, I'm sorry, I'll just read Pasuk Vav. Pasuk Vav says, Noach was 600 years old, and the Mabul was water on the earth. Okay, that was Pasuk Vav. Rashi had nothing to say on it. Let's go on to Pasuk Zion. <coughs> so, I saw a suggestion that the answer to the question of why Rashi says it twice... Oh, and by the way, there's another difference. There's a crucial difference between what he says here and what he said in the previous example. Vav Yudchet. What's the crucial difference? It gives a reason. Shaha'olam hayat sherui b'tza'ar. The world was in a state of trouble. Didn't say that the first time. So I saw one attempt to answer this question. Is that... Um, what period, time period are we talking about? When is this happening? Have they gone into the Teva yet? No, they've come to the Teva. And by the way, that will become clearer in the next comment of Rashi. They haven't gone into the Teva yet. They've come to the Teva already in separate groups. So it could be that previously in Vav Yodchet, Hashem is telling them how they're going to come to the Teva, and there Hashem is giving them the instruction that relations are forbidden in the Teva. This Pasuk is not Hashem's command. This is the narrative. This is tell, the Torah telling us how they came to the Teva. Even before they came into the Teva, they'd already separated themselves. And therefore, is not Hashem's reasoning. We've already seen Hashem's reasoning, or rather, we've seen there is nothing that Hashem tells us in Rashi to Vav Yotret. Rashi just said, They're forbidden to have relations, because Hashem tells them they're forbidden to have relations. Now, they're coming to the table already in separate groups. And what period are we in? We're in the seven days. We're in the extra seven days. And the people for themselves, Noach and his family for themselves, decided they were going to actually have an extra chumrah, if you like. But Hashem said they were forbidden to have Hashemishamita relations in the Teva. They already separated themselves beforehand. Why? Because they saw that the world was in a state of distress and travail. And they realized it was appropriate for them also to separate themselves uh, from having relations. So that would be an explanation. I think it's quite a good explanation of A, why Rashi says it twice. The first time is Hashem's mitzvah and the second time is a self-imposed chumrah. And why we have a reason given in this case because it's the reason for the self-imposed chumrah. Now let's get on to the last part of this comment, uh, the last part of the pasuk 
which is a fascinating comment of Rashi. So, Mipnei Mei Hamabul. So Rashi says, Af Noach Haya, sorry, no Haya, Af Noach Mikatne Emuna Haya. Noach was one of those of little faith. O ye of little faith. It's a direct translation. Ma'amin ve'enu ma'amin. He believed and he did not believe Shiavo Hamabul that the flood would come. And he did not enter into the Teva until the water pushed him. So the first thing to say is, what is Rashi explaining and how does Rashi understand it? Rashi is explaining the words, And what does Rashi think? They mean Well, first of all, Rashi feels you have to explain them because they're redundant. The point of the Pasuk is, They came to the Teva. And why does it need to say, So he translates it as, I'm not sure it could be either, but it means the same thing, either in the face of the waters of the Mabul or because of the waters of the Mabul. But either way, what it's saying is, Noach only came to the Teva because, or Noach, well, Noach only went and entered into the Teva, that's Rashi's words, below nichnas the Teva, until the waters actually pushed him. Interesting, I, I just noticed, I, I, I was about to say that the Pasuk says Noach entered in the Teva. It doesn't. It says vayavo Noach. Noach came to the Teva, but Rashi understands that as nichnas the Teva. He entered into the Teva. Why does he understand Vayavo as Nichnas? Because Noach's already come to the Teva. Where did Rashi say that? In which Pasuk? Doesn't say it in the Hebrew, but Rashi explained it. Pasuk Hey. Pasuk Hey said, Vayaz Noach Hashem. And what did Rashi say that meant? Zu coming to the Teva. Zu biatola Teva. So according to Rashi, Noach's already come to the Teva in Pasuk Hay. So what does it mean in Pasuk Zayin when it says Vayavo Noach? That's Nichnas El Teva. That's he entered into the Teva. And why is there a difference? And why is it Mibnei Mehamabul? Because Noach was Makatnei He was one of those of little faith. He believed and he did not believe. And he had to be pushed in by the waters themselves. Does this create any problems for our understanding of Noah? Yes. Could it not be that he was simply expressing his faith in Hashem and saying that he believed in with his heart that Hashem would forgive everyone and not oh. fulfill that? Okay, could it be that when it says he believed and did not believe that the, table, that the Mabul would come, that he thought maybe Hashem will forgive everyone? Okay, I've never seen that before, but it's a very nice idea. You're obviously, right, you, you're seeing the good in Noach. So when Rashi says he was Makatne Emona, he believed he didn't believe Shiavo HaMabol, that he had no doubt in Hashem's power. The question was, will Hashem forgive the people? Okay, it's a little bit hard perhaps to fit that in with Makatne Emona. Emona means faith in Hashem or loyalty to Hashem. But uh, certainly, um, it's a very nice understanding. Ah, okay, we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. Your comment is, he believed enough to spend time, 120 years, <laughs> yeah. building the thing. That's not a small 
That's no small commitment. Okay, does anyone have a problem with the opening words of the Sedra? Perukvav Pasuk Tet. Eile Toldot Noach, Noach Ish Sadik, Tamim Hayabadorotav, Etoelokim Hitalech Noach. Noach was a Tzadik Tamim, a complete Tzadik. Ah, ah, okay. So hold on, hold on. So what I'm trying to say is, is there a contrast between being a tzaddik tamim and being makatne emuna, lacking emuna? How can we reconcile them? So one approach is to say, well, then, hold on a minute, let's not get too excited. Rashi said, bedorotav, yeshamrim leganai. And there are those who say bedorotav is a negative expression. He was a tzaddik compared to the rest of his generation. But if he'd been in the generation of Avraham, lo klum, <clears throat> he wouldn't have been considered anything. So some want to say, yes, there is a contradiction, but we can answer it by saying, this understanding of Noach fits in with the Yeshomrim Laganai. For those who say, Bedorotav is to minimize Noach's greatness. So, Bedorotav, compared to a world where every single person outside Noach's immediate family is wicked and deserving of destruction, he's a tzaddik. But that's, if you like, a pretty low bar. And it's quite possible, it's no contradiction, so he's a tzaddik compared to the rest of the world, but he still is not 100% convinced about this flood business. That's one approach. Another approach is to say, Mapitam. No, no, no. He is, we can fit this in with Yeshon, those who say Noach was a tzaddik, even in his generation. He was a tzaddik tamim. You can't get away from that. The Torah calls him a tzaddik tamim. Even when you only say miktzat shevach b'fanav, you only say part of somebody's um, praise before them, even then Hashem said, Re'iti, I've seen that you are a tzaddik. He doesn't say tzaddik tamim. So Hashem calls him a tzaddik. So we can't say that he's not a tzaddik, not much of a tzaddik. The Torah calls him a tzaddik tamim. Even Bedorah Tavi, um, <coughs> and if we take it Lishvach, even in his generation, he was a great tzaddik. And Hashem calls him a great tzaddik. So we can say a perhaps surprising result. You can be a great tzaddik and still not have 100%, not be 100% convinced that what Hashem says is going to happen is going to happen. But there's two types of response to that. So you've you got this guy, Noach, and Hashem says there's going to be a mubble. And we see here, he's not 100% convinced it's going to happen. So one approach is to say, ah, not quite sure it's going to happen. I'm going to sit at home, put my feet up, have a cup of coffee. We'll see what happens. Another approach is to say, I'm not 100% convinced, but I'm still going to spend 120 years building the table because that's what Hashem's asked me to do. What type of person does that? when they're not 100% convinced it's going to happen, but they still do it, that is called a tzaddik. That's what a tzaddik is. And since it's going to take a long time before we get there, I will compare this, and I saw this comparison made by Rabbi Riskin, I saw it years and years and years ago, um, to the very end of the parsha. So a little bit of a you know, spoiler alert. At the very end of the parsha, Rashi brings a long story, which happens to be very well known, about Avraham being thrown into the fiery furnace, and who sat outside wondering what was going to happen? His name is Haran, Abraham's brother. And Abraham's brother said, I'm not sure if Abraham's right about this God business or not. 
I'll sit it out. If Avram comes out the furnace, I'll say I'm with Avraham. If Avram doesn't come out the furnace, I'll say I'm not with Avraham. I'm with Nimrod, the guy who threw him in the furnace. What happened? Avraham came out. Haran said, I'm with Avraham. Haran gets thrown in and gets burnt to a crisp. Okay? What did Avraham do for Haran's children, by the way? He married one and he took the other one with him. Perhaps out of a sense of duty to, if you like, the first Jewish martyr. Anyway, Haran came off the fence. He decided to be with Avraham's side. So why did he die? Because until that moment, he stayed on the fence. That's the difference between Haran and Noach. Noach, if you say, well, you can say, because Rashi says, wasn't 100% sure it was going to happen. He was a little bit unconvinced, but he still spent 120 years building the Teva. That's why he's still at Tzaddik. So, um, uh, it's quite a nice vault. It's a drosha, but actually I think it, it fits in with the words of Rashi. So you can either say here that Rashi is going like the negative of the two opinions that he said on the word Bedorotav back in the beginning of the parasha, or you can say, no, 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 this is what a Tzaddik Tamim does. Even if he's not 100% convinced, that, that is a lack of emuna, but he still does what Hashem asked of him. Now, by the way, we can understand why um, in, in Pasuk Hay, Rashi said, Rashi described that as coming to the Teva, but not entering into the Teva. And we can also say, the shot I gave on Rashi in Pasuk Zion, that the, uh, uh, the Torah says Noah and his sons and uh, his wife and, the, and, and their wives separately. That, and the way I explained it was they even came to the Teva in two separate groups. Not just when they entered into the Teva did they sort themselves out into males and females, but they even came into the Teva. And that's what I called the extra Chumrah. And now that, I hope that makes sense because we can see from the end of the Pasuk that everything before Mibnei Mei Hamabul is they're not actually entered into the Teva yet because it was only the waters of the marble that pushed them in. Everything prior to that was literally outside the Teva, just like in its close proximity, but just outside, which I hope explains the way I tried to explain the previous part of the Pasuk, that the men and the women are separate even outside the Teva. That was the Chumrah they imposed upon themselves. Okay, so I find that absolutely fascinating to say that Noah, who is Tzadik Tamim, Et Noach, he walks with God, nevertheless, he is a little bit lacking in Amuna. Ma'amin ve'enu ma'amin. It's a very interesting phrase. He believes and he doesn't believe. But the not belief is moderated by the belief. And the belief is moderated by the not belief. That's what a Makatne Amuna looks like. He, on one level he does believe. But on another level he doesn't believe. But the two things are like churning up inside him at all times. But just to sum up again, nevertheless... He is still called a tzaddik. He's a tzaddik tamim because he acts. And there are a lot of people who, oh, I'm not quite sure, I'm not quite sure I believe, so I'll, I'll sit it out. That's not what a tzaddik does. A tzaddik, even if he is plagued by some doubt, he still does what is required of them. Okay, we now move on to Pasuk uh, Chet. I won't make the same mistake. Rashi's got nothing to say, but we'll read it anyway. Min ha-behema ha-tahara umin ha-behema asher tahara from the behema which were tahor which we understand as kosher type animals and from the behema which were not tahor i.e. non-kosher animals umin ha-of 
and the birds and everything that creeps on the earth. Says Pasuk Tet, Shnaim, Shnaim, Bo'u El Noach, El Hateva. Two by two, they came to Noach to the Teva. Zachar Unakeva, Ka'ashet Siva Elohim et Noach. Male and female, as Hashem had commanded Noach. Yes? Um, so it doesn't say anything about fish, but I've like, seen like um, Midrashim that like, the water was like poisonous and there was like hot springs, like boiling hot water shooting up. So wouldn't that like, have killed the fish? Like, there's any like, fish tanks or something to protect those two? So the question is, I'm repeating the question in case it's not picked up on the recorder, yeah. is we understand that the fish survived, and I've talked about this before, and it, the animals didn't survive because they they perverted their way, which Rashi explains they interbred, which was not Hashem's plan. But he brought, uh, one of the advantages, one of the byproducts of bringing a flood is that the fish can survive. Yet we also are told in the Midrashim, and Rashi alludes to it, that the water was sulfurous and the water was boiling. Yeah. And so how did the fish survive? So I don't know. And I think I'd have to go back to the sources of the Midrashim and see if they made any reference to that. And if we take the Midrashim literally, which Rashi certainly does in this respect, then I think we'd have to say either (coughs) miraculously the fish survived or maybe there were jets of boiling water at different parts of the water, but that doesn't mean there weren't places that the fish could survive. That, that's actually how I understand it. Not that the, my, my you know, image, I don't know if it's correct, is not that all the water was boiling, but there were like jets of boiling water, yeah. which would imply there were other places where they could be still fish friendly. Yeah. Yes? Um, just about the novel in general, um, was it the whole world that was affected by it? Was it the entire world that was in a flood? Or is it just a certain part of the world? Because I had a, I learned with a rabbi at Harava that, um, it was apparently just the Mesopotamian region that was affected by it because there's um, archaeological evidence of that being affected somewhat, but the rest of the world wasn't. So okay, so I let shattered my image of the novel. So let me give you uh, pretty much the same as I think you've, you've already picked up. Um, seems from the Midrashim, seems from Rashi, seems from the simple pshat of the Chumash that it's the whole world. Okay? Um, those who want to try and equate the Torah's account with archaeological evidence and to answer various other questions. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I'm, I'm one of those people. Um, point two, archaeological evidence of a huge flood, um, maybe in the Mediterranean area, maybe in the Black Sea area, but there are places, there's, there's evidence that um, there are places that are now on dry land that were previously underwater. Um, if one reads the flood account as referring to basically the known world or the cradle of civilization, which was Mesopotamia, as you say, then it does answer a lot of questions that archaeology throws up. It also answers questions like, how did the marsupials get to Australia um, if they only came after the flood? So if you say the flood didn't affect the whole world, then it explains why different species were already there in the whole world. I think, personally it is legitimate to read the Chumash as saying it refers to the known world. Uh, I don't think you have to say that. I don't think there's any problem in saying, I want to stick to the traditional account, but it's the whole world, and archaeological will, will find other solutions, or, or we don't care about those questions. And I don't mean that in a negative way either. I think that's also a legitimate position. But 
there is a school of thought, let's put it that way, <coughs> that reads this as referring to the known world, and that happens to solve a lot of other problems. I must just say, since we're on the subject, um, I, uh, last week I had a dig at the biblical critics, I'll do it again this week, is that, um, really, I'm, what I'm about to say is not a parody at all. It's really not a parody. But when it comes to the Jews in Egypt, the anti-Bible people say, look, there's no evidence that the Jews were ever in Egypt. Clearly, the whole of Shemot is manufactured. When it comes to the flood, they say, loads and loads of ancient peoples have a tradition of a flood. So clearly, the story in the Bible is just copying those ancient traditions, and it didn't happen. Do you, do you see the contrast that I'm pointing out there? So when I hear the, the fact that, and it is a fact, that there are other traditions of a big flood that parallels or, or has some elements, not parallels, some elements of what the Torah says, I say, well, clearly, that's because there was a big flood, as the Torah says. Now, then you might ask a question, was it a flood affecting the whole world or was it affecting the whole known world? And that's an interesting speculation. Okay, does that answer your question? I don't think it probably adds to your, your existing knowledge. Okay, let's get back to um, Pasuk Tet. We've done Chet, now Tet says, Shnaim Shnaim Bo El Noach. Two by two, they came to Noach. El HaTeva, to the Teva, Zachar and Akeva, male and female, Ka'ashet, Siva, Elohim, et Noach, as Hashem commanded Noach. Now, what's the problem with saying they all came in twos? Any problem? Some, Some came in sevens. We talked about this last week. And Rashi um, explains Pasuk Tet to cover that issue. And he says, Shnaim, Shnaim, Kulam Hishvu B'Minyan Zeh. They were all equal in this number, i.e., min habachot hayu shnayim. Of the fewest, there were two. In other words, what does he mean? What does the Torah mean by two? It means every species came in twos, and some came with more than two. But of course, seven is two plus five. So if you come in sevens, that means they came in twos, but with some more. That's how Rashi is reading it. In other words, Shnaim Shnaim is not a contradiction to the fact that some came in sevens, but it's the, it's the commonality. All the species came in two, brackets, some came in more than two. And that's what Rashi says when he says, Kulam Hishvu They were all equalized in this number. What does it mean they were equalized? Because they weren't all equal in two. Min From the least, there was two. So it was all two or more. And then, Bo el Noach me'alehen. They came to Noach by themselves. Now that fits with what Rashi said earlier. Um, I forget exactly where, but earlier we've already seen that. Perak vav pasak kaf. And there Rashi said, Ume'alehen bo, they came by themselves. V'chol she'ateva koletato, and if the teva let them in, hichnas bo, then they, they went in. So it said already, Rashi, the Chumash didn't say, but Rashi said they came by themselves. Rashi is saying that again here. Why does he say it again? Because he's explaining a particular word. Which word is he explaining in the Pasuk? Any guess? Come on, let's make this a bit interactive. Okay, he's explained the word Ba'u, they came, as opposed to Hevi'u, as opposed to he brought them. So to say they came, what does it mean they came? It says Rashi, it tells you what it means they came. It came, they came by themselves. 
Now we move on to Pasuk Yud Aleph. And now we have the first of a number of Rashis in this parasha, which come into the question under the category of chronology. Because we have dates. So in Pasuk Yud Aleph it says, no, sorry, Pasuk Yud. Pasuk Yud says, And it was after seven days, and the waters of the flood were on the earth. By the way, there is, the way Rashi understands it, by the way, others read it differently, there's a lot of reference backwards and forwards with the same event referred to more than once. So this seven days is the same seven days as we heard about in Pasuk Dalad, which were foretold in Pasuk Dalad. In seven more days, I will bring the rain. And then, after seven days, there was the rain. But the chronology is not smooth, because Rashi said in Pasuk Zion, they only went into the Teva because the rain was already there. So the chronology, the way Rashi reads it, is going backwards and forwards a bit. And in a minute, we're going to have the 40 days and the 40 nights all over again, which we actually... um, No, I'm sorry, it's been predicted. It hasn't happened yet. Anyway, um, so after Pasuk Yud says, after seven days, there was the waters of the Mabol on the land. And then in Pasuk Yud Aleph, it says, Bishnat Sheishmeot Shana Lachaye Noach. In the 600th year of the life of Noah. Bachodesh Hasheini, in the second month, Beshiva Asariyom, Lachodesh, on the 17th day of the month, Beyom Hazer, on that day, Nivkau Kolmayanot Tahom Rabbah, all the sources of water of the great deep were burst open, the Aruvot Hashemayim, and the windows of heaven, Niftahu, opened, or were opened. So, here we have a date, a very precise date. It's the 17th day of the second month. That's when all these water sources were opened. One tiny little problem at which month? So Rashi says there are two possibilities. Now, Parallel to this year and every other year in the Bet Midrash, some of us have been learning Masechet Rosh Hashanah. Thank you, Sarah, for your inspiration and your vision starting the project. And some of us, therefore, will be familiar with the two views on when things happened. Um, the dispute between Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yeshua, who have two views about when the world was created, was it Nisan, was it Tishri, and various other things. And Rashi brings both views to explain this verse. And he says on Yud Aleph, on the words, Bachodesh Hasheni, Rabbi Eliezer Omer Zemer Cheshvan, Rabbi Yeshua Omer Zeir. Rabbi Eliezer says this is Mar Cheshvan, which means it's the second month to which? What's the first month? Tishrei, like the beginning of the year. And Rabbi Yeshua says it's Iyar, which is the second month to what? Nisan. And Nisan is the first of the months. So we have this wonderful duality in the Jewish calendar. It's uh, rather striking that we start the years in the middle of the months. Or we start the months in the middle of the years. Nisan is the first month. Tishri is not the first month. It's the seventh month. But each Nisan and Tishri, each in different ways, represent a beginning of a period. So the second month could be the second month to Nisan or the second month to Tishri. Um, 
And at this point, Rashi brings both because they both fit. They're equally valid. The Gemara is not really machria between them, uh, uh, up to a point. And so Rashi sticks to giving both of them. Uh, the, uh, I'm setting us up for the fact that in a moment, or at some stage not too far away, Rashi is going to only quote one rather than the other. But at this point, he offers both possibilities. Uh, no. Um, no, throughout the Torah, it's Chodesh Arishan, Chodesh Hashani, etc. Uh, the names, interestingly enough, what? They come from Ezra Nehemia, but they come from Bavel, and they are Babylonian names. Nisanias, even Tammuz, are not originally of Jewish origin. And Tammuz, amazingly enough, is the name of a Zara. It's the name of a Babylonian god. Mm-hmm. Like with all the other times that the Torah refers to, like, how do we know? Do we never know if it's starting from this answer? Um, can't we use the same kind of thing, whatever is established in pre- That's a good question. Uh, and actually, I would, I'll answer that, and then I'll, I'll come back to a question here, which I haven't got an answer to. Yeah. Basically, we have a mitzvah to count the months from Nisan. Not from Tishri, not, by the way, from January. Some people are accustomed not to ever call January month one or February month two, yeah. but to write out January in full, not put a number to it, for this very reason, because there's a mitzvah to count the months from Nisan. And therefore, whenever the Torah says the first month, it means Nisan. And whenever the Torah says the second month, it means Iyar. Uh, so the question is, and I haven't got an answer to this, why does Rashi even entertain the possibility that it means Cheshvan? Well, because the Gemara gives that possibility, and Rashi uh, has a good reason to, to follow that, but it is problematic. Maybe it's a question, really, on uh, Rebbe Eliezer, that why in this space, in this place, does second month mean Macheshvan, where every hour of the time in the Torah, I think, it means Iyar. Maybe as we go through <coughs> the different uh, references to the chronology, which I'm afraid get quite complicated, um, you'll see that maybe Rashi concludes it has to be one rather than the other. It just has to, to fit in with what's said. Yeah. Okay, but the answer to your question is, as far as I know, everywhere else in the Torah, maybe even in the Tanakh, um, the second month is Iyar because we only ever count months from Nisan. Yeah. Okay, next comment of Rashi on the word Nivka'u, the Kolmayanot, um, all the sources of water, the springs, the fountains, burst open. Lohotzi Meimehem to bring out their water. Now, um, I think the significance of Rashi's comment here is um, understood better when we do the next Pasuk. So I'll leave it. Just remember, there's these, Rashi said, Nikva'u lahotzi meimehen, to bring out their water. And when we look at Pasuk Yud Bet, we'll go back to this comment of Rashi and we'll see why he said that. The next thing he says is on Tahum Rabbah, the great deep. So you asked me what the Tahum was a long time ago, and I, don't, I wasn't able to find something really very satisfactory. Um, anyway, it's referred to here. It's a source of water under the earth, and it's big. It's Tahum Rabbah. Says Rashi, Mida Keneged Mida. This is an example of the punishment meeting the crime. Heim Chatu Barabah Ra'at Ha'adam. They sinned with Rabbah Rabbat Ha'adam, which if you look in Perak Vav, Pasuk Hey, at the end of Bereshit, is Hashem's rather um, depressing, almost disillusionary comment on the state of man. Vayar Elohim, Ayah Hashem, Ki Rabbah Ra'at Ha'adam. 
the evil of man was great, Rabbah. So they sin not just with evil, but with great evil. And they were smitten with the great deep. Rabbah, Rabbah. Why does Rashi have to say that? Why does Rashi have to say that? Because if you look at Perachet Pasuk Bet, you will notice something. So if you look at Perachet Pasuk Bet, we see when the water was drying up and the, the uh, things were getting better, the Yisachru Mayanot Tahom and the uh, sources of water of the deep were covered up. For Arubat Hashemayim and the windows of heaven in the same, so the, the reverse of what we're having here. Uh, so instead of being open, they were closed. But how is the deep described there in Perakhet Pasuk Bet? Tahom as opposed to? No, say, no Rabbah. Tahom, not Tahom Rabbah. So, given our rule for understanding what drives Rashi, we have similar but different. Same Tahom, but here it's Tahom Rabbah, there it's just Tahom. Why is it Tahom Rabbah here? So Rashi's answered that by saying it's Midah, Keneged Midah, the Rabbah is significant because it contrasts or, or, or with Rabbah Ra'at Ha'adam. So Rashi has to comment on Rabbah because it's here, but it's not there. Then we go on to Pasuk Yudbet. Vayehi ha-geshem al ha-aretz arbe'im yom arbe'im layla. And there was rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, by the way, the next Pasuk, which we may not get to tonight, talks about Noah going into the Teva. And that clearly is a repetition of Noah going into the Teva in Pasuk Zion or Pasuk Chet. Sorry, Pasuk Zion. So that's what I meant about there's a lot of sort of referring backs or flashbacks, if you like, to things that have already happened before. But now we are in Pasuk Yudbet. And there was Geshem ala Aretz Arbeim Yom Arbeim Laila. Now compare that to Pasuk Yud Zion, which is also, again, a, a repetition in terms of chronology. But what does it say there? Pasuk Yud Zion, same parak. The Mabul was on the earth for 40 days. Doesn't mean another 40 days. It is, and Rashi makes this point, it's the same 40 days in Yud Bet and in Yud Zion. But what's different about Yud Bet and Yud Zion? Sorry, uh, that, that's true. Uh, and actually, Rashi is going to mention that. I don't know if he's going to like, explain it. Um, but there's another difference. Okay, let me leave Rashi to say it himself. Rashi on Yud Bet, Vayhi HaGeshem Al HaAretz, Ulahalan HaOmer, Vayhi HaMabul. So here it says Geshem, which means rain, and there it says Mabul, which means, well, Rashi told us it meant three different things, they're all pretty bad, but we'll just say flood. So is it Geshem or is it Mabul? Now, by the way, you could have answered this as saying it's two different time periods. First there was 40 days of Geshem, then there was 40 days of Mabul. Rashi doesn't do that. He says it's the same thing. And he says, Ela, but horidan horidan barachamim. When Hashem brought the rain down, he brought it down in mercy. She'im yachzeru bracha. That if they did teshuva, if they returned, it would be geshme bracha, rain of blessing. 
nice gentle rain which makes the flowers grow. And when they didn't do Teshuvah, it became Mabul, it became destructive flood. So it is the same thing. But what's, what Rush is telling us is the reason for the discrepancy is this is really plan A, but it turned out to be plan B. So this is what it could have been. It could have been 40 days of Geshem, but in fact, it was 40 days of Mabul. So here is, it's the same event, but described in two different ways, because one is the perspective of what could have been, and the other is the perspective of what actually was. And we see that a few times, by the way. And the classic example, the great example, is the beginning of the Torah, where Rashi says the first peruk is, the name of Hashem is Elohim, which is Midat Adin, which is Hashem's act of uh, justice. And the second peruk is Hashem Elohim, which is um, justice mixed with mercy. Hashem is Midat Arachamim, Elohim is Midat Adin. And Rashi says... Uh, at the end of this comment on the very first uh, pasuk uh, of the whole Torah is why does it start with Elohim and then goes to Hashem Elohim because originally it was Hashem's plan to create it with Midat Adin but then he saw that the world would not endure because we couldn't exist without Rachamim so he brought in Midat Rachamim as well now that means that the creation with Elohim never happened because the creation actually was Hashem Elohim so why does the first chapter say the creation was through Elohim alone? That was the plan A that would have been and could have been, but actually wasn't. And I would suggest there's a similar thing here. So Pasuk Yudbet, where it refers to Geshem, is what could have been, but it wasn't. And it turned out to be um, Mabul for 40 days, not just Geshem. Okay, um, that explains... The comment that I said uh, was going to be explained in the previous verse. Nifka'u says Rashi lahotzi mehem. So at the beginning of the flood, that's the beginning of the 40 days, the um, sources of water burst open. But it can't be that they burst open with lots of water because that wasn't the original plan. The plan was there was going to be Geshem. So they burst open. So Rashi can be very literal here. They were open, to bring out their water, but they didn't actually bring out their water. That happened later when Hashem saw that the people didn't do Teshuvah. Was this supposed to warn them? Because if it's just a nice little rain, like, it's not a very serious warning. Um, was it supposed to warn them? If it's a nice little rain, it's not a very serious warning. I suppose, I suppose the plan was this. Noah builds the Teva for 120 years. The people come to Noah and say, listen, what are you doing with all this building? And he says, Hashem's going to bring a flood. And at that point, they could say, oh, we better do Teshuva. Or they could say, nah, do me a favor. And that's what they said. Then Noah gets into the Teva. And they presumably would wonder, or perhaps have a little bit of doubt, like the mirror image of Noah's lack of a mona. They think, well, maybe there's not going to be any water. Maybe there is going to be a water. If rain starts falling at that point, as the culmination of this whole 120-year-long process, you would hope, Hashem would hope, they would say, ah, this is the flood as promised, let's do Teshuvah straight away, and then it will turn into 40 days of nice water. But it didn't. Where you said that like, the water forced him in. Okay, yeah, good question. So, it sounds like 
it, at an early stage, it turned from Geshem to Mabul. I'm not quite sure exactly when that happened. I think they must have had some time to possibly do Teshuvah, but as soon as they didn't, it turned into Mabul. So, and at that point, Noah has to get into the Teva, Mibnei Mei HaMabul. Not quite sure exactly when that was. Yes? Um, can you guys just a bit more critically? Um, if someone were to say that something's going to take place in however long, can't be a part of it or don't be a part of it, if it's someone who you think is acting a bit out of the norms of what's like normal, like we're probably not going to go to that, you know? Like, I mean, we've all experienced, I'm sure, in our lives when we've gone down the street, someone's been trying to claim something and saying this is real and, you're, and you probably think, well, no, this isn't real. And even if, let's say, there were, there were some, like, rain, like, it's still, it's not like the whole prophecy that he's preaching. Like, I just think, like, from their perspective, like... Okay, so, um, I'll sum that up for the benefit of the recording. Um, if people... Uh, we're all in a situation where somebody says something's going to happen and we don't necessarily accept... We don't, we don't get excited as if it's going to happen. Is that what you're yeah. saying? Okay, I would say maybe that's because we live in a different world. Um, have you ever noticed uh, why there's no Nevi'im today? Why Hashem doesn't send us Nevi'im? And the answer is because we wouldn't believe them. They could have mental illness then, would they? Well, maybe, yeah. but yeah, okay. So today if somebody comes and says, I've had a message from God, we would assume they've got paranoid schizophrenia and we would get them help, <laughs> right? Whereas in earlier times, if somebody came and said, I've got a message from God, we would listen to it. Okay, there's a, there's a, um, a lot to be said about the change from the uh, world where, which was full of Avodah which obviously was a very bad thing, but had, nevertheless, the easy connection to the force of God in the world. They all had perfect health Well, not in the later time. I'm thinking really by Shaney. Yeah, between Bayat Ridge, during the, before the flood, maybe, yes. Yeah. But I'm saying there was a time when there were Nevi'im, and then there aren't Nevi'im. And one of the reasons given as why Hashem doesn't send Nevi'im anymore is because we wouldn't believe them. So I don't think we can really compare our situation to their situation where there was this idea that God, or maybe they believed in lots of gods, but that in a sense makes them even more open to messages from gods. Um, And then Noah giving this message, uh, I think the way we would react to it today is not compatible to the way they would act to it then. Let's just go a little bit more. Uh, Rashi on Arbi'im Yom. Ein Yom Rishon Min HaMinyan. So the first day is not part of the Minyan, part of the counting. Lefisha Ein Laila Imo. Because it doesn't have the night with it. So if the flood starts, let's say, at 12 noon on, let's say, Monday, when does that day end? That day ends at sunset on Monday. And then day two starts. Ah, not day two starts, because the first six hours, if you like, on Monday from noon till sunset doesn't count, because it doesn't have a day with it. Does that remind you of any counting of 40 days or miscounting of 40 days? Hasina. Moshe goes up. He says, I'm going to be up there for 40 days. And according to Rashi, the people counted the first day as day one, but it wasn't to be counted because they didn't have the night with it. So you only have a count a day for the day following a night. So Rashi says, Yom Rishon Min, Ein Yom Rishon Min Aminyan, Lefisha Ein Laila Imo, Shaharei Ketiv, because it says, Bayom Hazer Nivka'u Kol Mayanot, 
all the uh, fountains burst open on that day, so daytime. Now, why does Rashi particular? Why is Rashi keen to say this? In order to say that Nimzo Arbeim Yom Kalim Bekaf Chet Bekislev. So he says that if you don't count the first day, which was the seventeenth, so day one is the eighteenth, and then you count forty days, that takes you to the twenty-eighth of Kislev. Rebeliezer, according to Rebeliezer, Rebeliezer, who said the second month is Macheshvan, forty days after the seventeenth of Macheshvan, if you don't count the seventeenth itself, is the twenty-eighth of Kislev. By the way, when we normally count days in Jewish law, we count the first day as day one, not day zero. Brit Mila, for instance, if a baby's born on Tuesday, the Brit takes place on Tuesday because we count Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Shabbat, Sunday, Monday. I've run out of date. Whatever. <laughs> Tuesday, yeah, that's right, because it's eight days. <laughs> eight days, not seven days. So, but Tuesday, the day that it's born is day one, and that's the normal time we count things. So Rashi has to spell out that this is different, that this doesn't count, start with the first day as day one, but rather the first day is day zero, and then 40 days later, you get to the 28th of Kislev. That's going to be relevant. We're going to explain that later. And that fits in with Rebbe Liezer. The months would have been counted in the normal order. You have a full month of 30 days, and then the next month is 29 days. So from the 17th of Cheshvan to the 28th of Kislev, you're going to get 12 days of Cheshvan, the Esrim Mushmon of Kislev, and 28 days of Kislev, and you'll end up on the 28th of Kislev, and that will become relevant later on when he talks about the next stages and the next dates that occurred in the flood. You'll also notice that he's only quoting Rabbi Eliezer, that Rabbi Yeshua has dropped out the picture. And the reason for that is the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah concludes that we count the flood according to Rabbi Eliezer. It's an interesting comment there. The Gemara concludes that some things we count according to Rabbi Yeshua, some things, and the flood is one of them, we count according to Rabbi Yeshua. And that might explain why Rashi at this point has dropped Rabbi Yeshua's calculation and is now sticking at this point to Rabbi Yeshua's. We will stop there. We will meet again in Yitzhashem next week.